I am a mutt in many regards. I'm a spiritual mutt in that I grew up in an ultra-traditional um, environment where we only sung hymns, where, you know, times we tried to play the bass guitar because I'm a musician and, and I, you know, and we would be playing and the, the deacons would come and like plug out the amplifier. <laughs> Y'all don't know nothing about that type of stuff. Like, I'll never forget, if my boy Nathan is watching, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We used to be, we used to be gigging. We used to be having a blast in church. And, and suddenly we'd be playing, and then suddenly it turned into air guitar. And it's just like, what happened? And they just sitting there holding the cord. And it's just like, those are the types of, so I grew up in an ultra-traditional environment, and then I got saved in, in the States, in a missionary Baptist church. You know, the Lord uh, saved me and, and, and justified me. And out of that, and then, you know, had a, a it, went into like more of a Pentecostal sort of or charismatic sort of an experience. And I used to kind of be like, what am I, fam? Like, I love hymns. I know the verses to hymns, y'all. Like, you know, there's some of us, we only know the chorus, choruses and stuff. You know the choruses, like, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the bird. But then when you get to the verses, like, no, we're like, alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? My God, would he devote a sacred head for such a worm as I? Like, like there's theology in these lyrics, man. And so, like, growing up, and I'm like, but then I also like to, and it's just, I just, I, it was just like, what on earth am I? And so for some people, especially in the environments that I am, I'll never forget, we lived in California. And, and you know, sometimes I feel like wearing a suit. And so I was working at an in a church uh, out there, and sometimes I'd wear a suit. And then... Couple of days there, I feel like wearing some J's and a T-shirt. I'll never forget the pastor went to a friend of mine. He's like, "Yo, is there something wrong with that guy? Like, what's the matter with him? Does he, you know, does he have a mental issue? He literally asked to have a mental issue because I don't dress the same way all the time, right? And so it's interesting for me because even just is it okay for pastors to be honest? Because it's difficult, like even identity-wise. Like some people are like, "Yo, you too churchy," right? And then others will be like, well, no, you got your ear pierced, so you're too worldly, right? And then others will be like, you're too old school. And then some are like, you know, some black people tell me I'm a sellout, right? Because I have too many white friends and I have too many people in that environment. Oh, can I just keep it real? I mean, I'm just going to talk about it. And then some other, others tell me I'm too black, so I need to CCMify my sound a little bit more. Oh, y'all don't want to be... Hey, sir, can you just bring your tone down just a little bit? Like, you know, these are the types of things that I experience. And I, it's just, it's very difficult, you know, sometimes I'm too charismatic because I like to pray and because I pray in tongues in my house and have all these sorts of experiences. And, you know, and then, and then there's the others that are like, you don't have the Holy Ghost because I don't stand up here and yell in tongues for 20 minutes every Sunday. And it's just, a, it's just a. It's, 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 it, there's such a tension when it comes to when we're talking about being one and God being our father. And for some of us, if you're like me, you know, if you like, it's just difficult sometimes to fit in boxes. And, you know, the fact of the matter is Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 16. Can we just talk for a little bit? Matthew 16, 13, Jesus asked, you can write this down. He asked the disciples right before Peter makes the profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ and he's the son of God and all this stuff he says Jesus asked the question who do men say that I am he goes who do men say that I am and when he makes this question when he asks this question they begin to tell him some say you're this and some say you're this and some say you're this person and some say you're that person and then Peter ends up declaring rightfully 
who he is. And listen, Jesus exemplifies to us that it's absolutely okay to know what people think about you as long as you don't allow it to stop you from fulfilling what God has said over your life. Uh, so you can say I'm too churchy. You can say I'm too Pentecostal. Come on, somebody. You can say I'm too old school. You can say I'm too worldly. At the end of the day, all I care about are souls being saved. Our lives being changed. Oh, my. It's breakthrough happening in people's lives. At the end of the day, that is what matters the most. And many of us, we get caught up in all of these shenanigans as if God didn't was not intentional about your and my journey making us the way that we are on purpose, with a purpose. There are people that I can reach that others can't reach. And there are people that you can reach that I cannot reach. There is diversity in Christ's body and 1 Corinthians 12 is all about you not saying to the knee I don't need you no more because somebody sometimes you're going to need to bend your foot come on somebody you can't say to the eye I don't need you and many of us we are changing who we are and going away from who God has made us uh, to be able to fit into a certain I'm telling you I am okay with being a spiritual mutt and every single part of me is necessary and can I just drop this here uh, for those of us before we get into this revival month and this revival season if all of me can't come I ain't coming Oh, somebody needed to hear that today. If all of you can't come, every single thing that God has put in you, every experience, every gift, every quirk, every single thing that he has placed in you, he has made you the way that he has so that you can be someone that can be used to re... Oh my, this thing is getting good in my shanana. I just feel this thing, y'all. Because I want you to understand this. It's important uh, for us to be who God has called us to be. And, 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 it, and no man, you know, so for me, the most important thing, if I can just be real, that was just a little pit stop on the way to what it is I want to share. I value personally and see, you know, the, the ancient, as I've been talking about in this series, he's our father, so we're diverse. Uh, but the fact of the matter is we have to have uh, 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 and make sure that we are founded at the substratum of, where, of who we are. There should be things things that are bedrock that are ancient because the faith is not just a couple hundred years old and whatever sort of a, a expression and experience that you're having uh, especially if it just developed as I've been telling you in the past couple hundred years remember Christianity is over 2,000 years old and so there are traditional things that we grab but then there are things or things that we hold to that are ancient but while we're still able to be relevant enough to be able to reach people where they are we're not serving people stale bread and so the fact of the matter is it's important it's a paradox in many regards but it's something that we need to understand I, I want to look at Mark chapter 7 what book did I say Mark chapter 7, talking about this idea that we've been sharing. Mark chapter 7, and I just want to read, let's just start from verse 1, uh, because when I'm talking about being uh, ancient but also relevant, as I'll be saying, ever ancient, ever new, it's important for us to also understand this, so that we cannot just understand the diversity and being who we are as God has called us to be, but also being connected to, to what God desires for us to be connected to. Are you there? Say, I'm there if you're there. 
Come on, online, if you're there, go ahead, put it in the chat and let me know. I won't be before you long. Mark 7, verse 1 through 13, here we go, talking about traditions and even things that people put on you. And there are many of you, you think you have to do stuff that you don't even have to do. Come on. And, and so, and you've been allowing people to put you in bondage and in boxes and blocks and all these things and squares and spaces that God has not even assigned. Here, Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 13. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes, who had come from Jerusalem they saw that some of his speaking of Jesus's disciples ate with hands that were defiled that is unwashed for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands watch this properly somebody say properly holding to the tradition of God is that what it said holding to the traditions of the elders and when they come from the marketplace they don't eat unless they wash and there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat with deviled hands and he said to them well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written this people honors me with lips but their heart is far from me verse 7 in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men and this is interesting and he goes you leave the commandment of God to hold to the tradition of men and so when we're talking about this understand the elders what you know there were certain laws that were requirements for the ways that they were supposed to take care of their hands within the Old Testament because these were Jewish individuals Pharisees were strict observers of the law and so these people they went above and beyond like they went beyond what God commanded to the point where they're like okay you didn't wash your hands if you didn't wash the whole thing like all the way and then they're even washing the couches where they sit like they would go to the extreme know anybody like that go to the extreme it's like you know God told you to fast for one day and you had to turn it into five you know and it's like because you in many regards we think that uh, being overzealous earns us brownie points with Jesus oh I didn't mean to go here but it's some people man I'm telling you there's some can I just tell you this is crazy some people need to take a fast from fasting Oh, can I just say that type of stuff? Didn't you know that sometimes, and I didn't even mean to go here, but I just want to help somebody to understand that sometimes, watch this, sometimes the biggest form of bondage happens in religious bondages. Oh, there are people that take modesty to the extreme. Oh, can, can I just say, can I just keep it real? Like, I mean, it's where there's so many people. This is why we get all of these, uh, these mutations uh, and traditions that are put in place that God did not even encourage or command. And we go to the extreme with all sorts of things, taking scriptures out of context, uh, not allowing them to connect with the, with, the, uh, with the deposit of history that we have. And we make stuff up and go to the extreme. But he challenges them because the, the people who are around them are like, you don't fit, you're not carrying out. You know these traditions but it's made clear here that what type of traditions are there they are traditions of man they're not traditions that were commanded by the apostles or commanded by Jesus for them to adhere to they were traditions that were being put in place by man that were extras that were add-ons 
And so I want to deal with this because, uh, because I want to talk to you about this. But then now, turn with me uh, to 2 Thessalonians. What book did I say? 2 Thessalonians is in the second half of the Bible, or towards the end of the second half. For those who are new to Bible, I want you to go there or navigate there on your phone uh, and find it with me. Because here, so there Jesus rebukes them for their tradition. So he rebukes them for the sort of tradition that they are employing there in that text, right? Uh, but then now here we find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, the apostle Paul, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by letter. So we just read a text in Mark chapter 7 that talks about Jesus condemning them for adhering to tradition. But then now we find another text where the Apostle Paul is admonishing uh, the church at Thessalonica, which is modern day Thessaloniki as they would say. And the Apostle Paul is making it clear that there are things that were written down that they were supposed to observe. But how many of you know, and maybe many of you didn't know this, that the New Testament that we have with the 27 books that we hold to, this was not completed when Paul was saying these things. So for them, scripture and what scripture looked like was predominantly the Old Testament. And then as some of the letters were written that were dispersed throughout the churches as letters that were considered as scripture as well. And then later on in the early church, they end up canonizing the 27 books that we have as the New Testament. And so while Paul spent time with in Thessalonica, and he spent time with them. He makes it clear that they are supposed to, here it is, to hold, stand firm, and hold to the traditions that you were taught. Either by the things that were spoken or things that were the letters. So the apostles, remember in the Nicene Creed we talk about and we declare uh, that we believe in one holy Catholic, and which means universal, and apostolic church. The apostolic idea of, is, of it is that the things that the apostles did... And they taught and they wrote that we hold to those things. So let me say it this way, right? There are traditions of men and there are traditions of God. And watch this. This is what I'm saying. For me, I'm somewhat of a, I guess people would say, I'm not going to use that word. I'll say, okay. But yeah, somewhat of a in a mix-up because I value tradition personally, uh, things that are godly and things that anchor us. And then also, I'm, I'm to the place where I see the value for being uh, relevant and all of these sorts of things. But we live in a generation that is that has demonized the concept of tradition and religion. So like, if, if you're anything like me, you'll hear a lot of people saying, tradition is bad. Or watch this. this, this is a more common one in Christian environments. It's all about relationship. Anybody hear this? So it's this idea that it's all about relationship. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. And yes, the heart of that statement is that it's important to make sure that you are connected to Jesus and you have a connection with Jesus and you have a relationship with him. But the fact of the matter is that you, that the, the, the Bible does not call us to come against tradition and religion. The fact of the matter is it's not about religion or it's about bad religion and bad tradition. It's about tradition and religion that takes us away from God. 
and points us to ourselves, points us to our works, points us to how good or how bad we are and inadequate we are. That is what the Bible comes against. It's things that enslave and hold us back because there are negative traditions, but they are also that there are also things that are good. Watch this. Can I tell you this? This is one thing I want you to know uh, as I'm as I'm hurrying to a close is that everything we do is a form of tradition or religion. So look, the fact of the matter is, all these people run around like, no, we're not traditional, we're not religious, we're non-denominational. That's a tradition too. You know non-denomination is a denomination? Hopefully you religiously brush your teeth every day. Come on somebody, some of y'all couldn't say amen right there. You know, so I'll tell you this, for some of us, our saving grace has been that mask, Hallelujah. I'm, I'm being nice I promise but look I'm telling you sometimes I, if I just be honest man sometimes when I have to wake up and rush out child and I have that mask on I almost be killing myself in that mask <laughs> but the fact of the matter is look I'm telling you everything we do is a form of there's something you do religiously and so the fact of the matter is all of the things you do if you're like oh we're not traditional uh, because we don't sing hymns if you sing only contemporary music that's your tradition so the point of what I'm saying is we, we're, we're, we live in a generation that is so anti-everything when in actuality the fact is it's not about being anti-religion or anti-traditional. It's about embracing instead the traditions and creating and living in things that God and that the apostle had left for us to help us to be to the place where we are able to, where we are able to glorify God religiously, something that we do consistently and that the generations after us are able to remember what it is that, uh, that was passed on before them. Here it is. Watch this. I want you to understand this. Uh, for example, James. What book did I say? James. Is it okay for us to look at scripture? Look, James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Let me show you that religion is not bad. Let me show you that religion itself is not bad because there are many of you that run away from this. James chapter 1 verse 26 and 27 for the sake of time. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Write it down. Check it out later if you're interested. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart. We could just preach off this text right here. This person's religion is worthless. Now look, so someone who religiously does not bridle their tongue. In other words, don't tame their tongue. He spends a whole chapter on this in chapter 3. That doesn't bridle their tongue, doesn't control themselves. He says that person's religion is whatless. Right? And then he goes on in verse 27. And watch this. Notice this. I'm not making it up. It's in the text. Religion that is bad. Is that what he says? No. He says religion that is what? Religion that is pure and undefiled. Here's an example of it. Pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, living a life of holiness by God's grace. One that brings glory to God. So when we're saying religion is bad, religion is not bad essentially. It's bad religion that's bad. 
It's things that you do religiously and things that churches do religiously that block people that don't serve the world and those that are in hurting and churches that are that only exist for you and for yourself and for your vanity and your little club and everybody else is wrong and nobody else is going to heaven but you. That is bad religion. Oh, am I in the book? This is the text. This is what we're looking at. And so it's important. I want you to understand this. Tradition, godly tradition is important because that's what we've been talking about. These are the things that connect us. When I'm saying stuff like, yo, we need to be celebrating the Eucharist every Sunday. This is not me just pulling this out the side of my head. This is me looking at what did Christians do for the past 2,000 years as the center of worship. And when did that change? Right? This is me Making sure when we're looking at scripture, this is why when we say the word of God is the inf is infallible and scripture is infallible and inerrant. This is not me just pulling this out the side of my head or us doing this. This is connecting us. This is connecting us with Christians for the past 2,000 years. So there are things that we are relevant about and God has made us and we have our individuality and all of this. But yet and still, there are other things that should anchor us. Because I'm telling you, the negation of godly tradition and religion has made us reckless and unanchored in many regards. You know why there's 30,000 denominations today in Protestantism? It's because in many regards, it's been the negation or in other words, the throwing out of all tradition or even the concept of tradition. So now it's kind of like we are still employing tradition, but we're employing, no perfect people allowed. <laughs> we're employing tradition that is not anchored to anything. It's anchored to waterless clouds. It's anchored to air. It's just, it's not something that's fit. I'm telling you, this is, this is what I want to tell you. This is why we have, you know, so scripture talks about being about, about the gifts of the spirit. This is what charismatic churches are churches that believe like us, that the gifts of the spirit, supernatural gifts of the spirit are present still today. That Jesus still heals. Come on, somebody. Any witnesses that he still heals, that devils still are cast out, he still enables people to speak with tongues, all those things. We believe all of those things, right? But nonetheless, what we don't believe is we are charismatic with a seatbelt. So in other words, what we mean by that is that, yeah, we believe in all those things, but we also be what we believe about those things has to be based upon the parameters and the guidelines and the anchor of scripture and tradition. So what I mean by this is, if Paul says, don't yell in tongues out loud unless there is an interpreter, we believe that. Oh, y'all don't like that type of stuff, eh? Because now, what happens is, we, when we believe in the gifts of the Spirit without having any form of anchor, what we end up having is what we call charismania. Oh, y'all don't want to talk about this. So look, anything goes. And that's why you be in environments and you see people going nuts and all sorts of things are happening and there's no explanation. There's no, even Peter at Pentecost, when Pentecost happened and they were all speaking in tongues, come on somebody, when they were all speaking in tongues and then the people are like, what's going on? These mans are drunk fam. And they go, no. Peter says, I'm not just going to be like, oh, well, if you don't get it, you don't get it. That's on you. He goes, no, men and brethren, they're not drunk as you suppose. This is what was prophesied in Joel chapter 2. He prophets, he talks to them about what took place in the book of Joel and he, and he connects it and he ends up preaching the gospel to them and 3,000 people are baptized. Oh, who's with me on today? So it's powerful. There ought to be fruit out of what's happening, not just you being titillated. Oh, can I talk about it? 
And so let me tell you, this, this is why I want you to peep. This is why I want you to peep. Here's a point for you uh, as I bring the plane down for landing. Godly tradition should be an anchor, not an idol. Hold on, hold on. I want you to peep this. Godly tradition should be an anchor, not an idol. So when we're talking about tradition and we're talking about the importance of tradition, what we're saying is that godly tradition, it serves to help us make sure that we are in line with scripture. We are in line with the deposit of history that we have, right? And we are, while we're being relevant, when we're doing all that we're doing, that we are in the place where we are not uh, also idolizing we're not idolizing the tradition that we operate in. And just give, me a, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. And so I want you to understand this. Here it is. A guy by the name of Jaroslav, Jaroslav Pelikan. He made a statement and I want you to peek this and I want you to grab this. So when I talk about godly tradition should be an anchor, not an idol. What I mean by this, it should be a signpost to help us to understand the things that we should hold to, the things that we should observe, the way that we should frame and have freedom within the framework of the deposit of history that we have. But also that it doesn't become to the point where when we hold to godly tradition, where it becomes an idol. Because then that moves from tradition to traditionalism. Traditionalism is where there is no longer any flexibility and where, watch, doesn't matter what's happening. So for example, if your tradition is to preach the Bible line upon line or to preach, do books. So for example, if I preach, I'm like, we're preaching for this month through the book of James and a major catastrophe happens in the world. On that Sunday, the world is mourning and I'm preaching about God judges the ven with vengeance the world today. You know, like, and so there's no flexibility because of traditionalism and this is the only way we do it we can't break the tradition to prophesy to what's going on in the world oh are you with me today so here it is here it is Jaroslav Pelikan he says tradition watch this is the living faith of the dead but traditionalism is the dead faith of the living let me say that again tradition is the living faith of the dead meaning that those who have come before us right when we carry on and we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone gone before us i call them the odgs the old dead guys what happens is we are continuing to live out what they built before us and so their faith is alive in us but then the fact of the matter is uh, the fact of the matter is that traditionalism is when we now idolize and that now becomes the dead faith of the living where what we're doing is just meaningless rituals but there's no faith that's attached to it oh who's hearing what i'm saying so tradition is the living faith of the dead traditionalism is the dead faith of the living and my point before that was godly tradition should be an anchor not an idol not an idol and so i end today and i wanted to i want to just share around this and you guys can come in and hang with me uh, i want to talk about this. this is something that you know one of the the traditions that i think is valuable aside from all the things that we talked about you know last week we talked about the sign of the cross and i forgot this one part i told you the triunity of god 
the dual nature of Christ and the two drop fingers and the one part I forgot Pastor Patricia you know what I'm talking about how God watch this they believe in the eastern right how when they pray the sign of the cross or they do the sign of the cross to remind them of the cross of Christ the trinity of God the split nature of Christ and then when they come from the left to the right it reminds them of how God brought them from the left and brought them over to the right oh that makes me shout every time I hear that I'm like that's 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 dope like so he it reminds them how he they were in sin and he brought them from the left and brought them over to the right but something that else is powerful is the liturgical calendar so remember liturgy is about us getting together and gathering so that we can connect we can sing together we can pray together we can read scripture together and hear scripture together we can hear a message together we can grow together and so we are individuals we are distinct we are relevant but we're still anchored and I love it because the liturgical calendar is something that's powerful. Like, so if it's around Advent time, like prior to Christmas or even Christmas time, people wonder like, okay, so did Jesus come at that time? Even with the resurrection of Christ, did Jesus rise at that time? Why do we celebrate it at these times? Well, it's because it's called the liturgical calendar. In other words, it's not about the accuracy of the dates and the times of all these things. As much as it is setting times throughout history when the church comes together to commemorate and remember the most pivotal events in Christian history. And so it's powerful because like when we think about Easter and then Pentecost and Lent which we will be celebrating in, and participating in this year or next year. And then when we think about what's considered now after Christmas. And after uh, Easter and Pentecost is what's called ordinary time. Everybody say ordinary time. And it's powerful because the concept is, it's not ordinary meaning basic, but ordered time. And watch this, the events that happen because Jesus came and was born into the earth, or that Jesus died and rose from death, the time after that is how we walk out, how our lives have been impacted by that. And so we literally live our lives between Christmas season and Easter season, living out, or in other words, experiencing the ramifications or the results of Easter. The results of, of Christmas, of Christ coming to the earth the first time. And so the colors, I love it. Like green is the color of ordinary time. Who already knew that? Somebody already knew that? Okay. So yeah, like ordinary time, green represents this. It's life-giving and how Christmas and how Easter and Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, how life is in us through this. And it celebrates the fact that Jesus has been walking, when Jesus was walking, you know, after these, and what took place after these events. It's just a, it's a powerful thing. And so... You should check it out you should research it but in general western christianity there's advent which is the time prior to christmas there's christmas there's ordinary time after this after they celebrate this there's lent then there's easter and then there's ordinary time after pentecost and it's just powerful so colors and calendars these are ways that we can connect with the church at large and take it just beyond our local assembly to be able to connect and I told you every week I'll share something and so the western liturgical calendar it's something that is something we can connect and in between they have various feasts and things that they do for extraordinary people in their lives and how they celebrate and all of this but it's powerful 
It's a powerful way for us to be able to connect as we celebrate the greatest events in earth's history. And so to you, as I close this series today and to you, I'm like, man, listen, fam, God has made his body diverse. He's made his body diverse and he's been intentional about making us the way that he has. And even though this is the case, there is the ancient faith that was here long before us. And it's imperative, it's important for us to not loose ourselves off from it, be anchored. But not only this, also in being anchored, don't become idolaters. And don't make idolatry out of these things that help us. Because it's very easy to slip into idolatry as opposed to doing all things for the glory of God. If this message was a blessing to you, I encourage you to go ahead and put those hands together and give the Lord the praise. Come on online if it was a blessing to you.